Top of the morning to you guys. Good morning. Yeah, That's good it. morning. How many cups of coffee do we have in? Zero. This is my first sip, so. Yeah. Now, Matt, you got to understand, I didn't drink a drop of coffee until about two years ago. Really? Yeah, I did my whole dissertation, and then, like, the last year, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is great. I love this coffee <laughs> thing. It's called addiction, Mike. <laughs> but now it is. Now it is. I'm telling you. Morning, Heidi. Good morning, Larry. Hi. Morning. Good morning. Double L, good to see you. Heidi, good to see you. You too. Let, let's start. Hey, let's start loading up on a coffee and get it, get after it. Hey, I'll get started in about two or three minutes. Hey, Ray, I got a, a text message from Brad, um, and I'm going to excuse his absence from class. He's in the hospital with a baby. Oh, awesome. The baby came. Good. Yeah, I, Natalie, I couldn't remember. Natalie Joy. I couldn't remember when, it, when the baby was due, so that's awesome. Yeah. I guess he was in the high, you know, the baby yesterday morning, I guess. I thought he was going to give me some kind of Chick-fil-A excuse or just informed of, uh, of a locker lady making her presence in our middle school here soon. Yep, she's ready. Is she? Okay. Yeah. Hopefully you're ready. Just went yeah, I went by the, the teacher. I'll tell you, what, the teacher that's in that room is sweet. Holy mackerel. She's got, she got this burden. It's, it's a multi-disabilities class. Mm-hmm. And these kids are needy. Holy mackerel. But man, every single one of them's got a smile ear to ear in there. Yeah, they're cool. That's that a good classroom and you see, kids. Oh my gosh. You walk in that classroom and you see the, the greatest needs in the world and, and they're the happiest kids in the building. Yep. All you got to do is like stick your face, you know, near them and they, they, they act like they're getting a million bucks. Yep. Eric, good to see you. Okay. Now, Ray, when I coach football, I, you know, I used to, I used to have everybody set their watch to mine. Okay. So if I felt like we want to go a little bit longer, I, you know, I, I turn a clock back or I turn it forward. <laughs> I used to manipulate it all the time. So the hard stop is really flexible. But yeah, like I would, I would say, hey, it's time to go to period two or period three in a practice schedule. And they say, well, that was supposed to happen 15 minutes ago. I said, no, my watch is seven. You know, my watch is 6:30, even though it was like 6:45. I would purposely change my watch. And don't do please don't share that with Pastor Matt. Uh, for <laughs> All right, let's get rolling. Let me let me share my screen if I can. So what I'm going to try and do this week is share my screen with my notes. Okay, so I can have my notes in front of me, but if that fails and you guys can't see because uh, you have poor eyesight like myself, then, then we'll adjust. Okay, so let me. All right, you've disabled my screen sharing, Ray. You've got you to gotta enable me. Enable you? Let's see. Yeah. Here we go. Make host. Okay. There you go. You got, you got way too much power. You have the login. You, you can take it when you want. I know. I know. That'd be another email to find, though. All right. 
So can everybody see that all right, or is that too small? We're good. Okay. All right. Let's get rolling. Loving it. Okay. We're going to jump into Nehemiah. So this week, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on completely on chapter one. Um, the goal was, relatively speaking, going to be uh, just about, at least for the first you know six or seven weeks, um, we're going to do a, a chapter a, a week. And I just want you to read it, read it, read it, reflect, pray, tear it apart, uh, and then contribute, you know? So um, it won't be a ton of prep work, but I think it's something that we got to do um, as we go through it over and over again, okay? So let's just talk a little bit about what we came up with last week. Um, this was kind of just a reminder coming out. Um, you know, we I wanted you to think about, um, you know, a couple of things. One, getting a, you know, some kind of side-by-side -side for yourself with this Nehemiah. Um, I, I, I kind of shared the four different books that I'm using um, and I really like. Um, and then, you know, obviously you can pull something off the internet or, or, or do something beyond just the scriptural text that's in your Bibles. Um, obviously that's the basis. Um, but also think of, I want you to think about three there, what we why. You know, what's the singular pursuit God's moving you towards? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not convinced that we do one thing and one thing only. You know, uh, if your purpose in life is to um, serve people through uh, teaching or, or in a classroom, um, I'm not convinced that God doesn't change that purpose, you know, but I do think he does give us, you know, a real solid burden uh, in certain areas. So let, let's dig into this just a little bit. Uh, leaving last week, did anybody think of, you know, to themselves that, that you have a real clear why um, or something that has been pressing for a long time? I mean, is there is it an area uh, that you feel like, you know, this is this is where God's got me? Anything in general? And I'll give you a heads up. Every time I take a drink of coffee, okay, that's gonna say you better you better say something or I'll, I'll sit and stare at you at 6 30 in the morning so um, I won't I won't stop here and put you too much on the spot but I want you to continue to sort through you know what's your why and where God has you purposed um, so let's get into this so we left off you know we went through the first three or four verses of Nehemiah and I really wanted you to think about this verse you know that you know Nehemiah's first reaction to the news about you know his hometown, um, about this important place, was that he sat down and he wept. Okay, so I think you know I really wanted to dig into this just a little bit to start and 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 review a little bit, but you know consider why why was why was Nehemiah so upset and why was that important? What what was your initial reaction to that? So there was emotion before action, you know, um, I'm going to dig into this a little bit, but I, I really was challenged by that. And also thinking about like leaders and what, what, you know, God takes leaders through with emotion, you know, is it appropriate to have emotions? Should your emotions be tempered? Should you show your emotions? Um, how should they affect your reaction? You know, so just, just kind of getting into that a little bit. Um, I'm going to keep talking, but please raise hands or, or yell. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah. So as I as I looked about uh, read about leadership and and really have been thinking about it, obviously it seems to me that leadership can be boiled down to influence. It is, you know, causing people to do something that you want them to do. Um, and I think that to have an emotional response to jumpstart that, I think, is critically important. If I'm making an appeal to students or, you know, I think about coaching and in a sport or something right before the big game, it is not the coach getting up and saying, all right, here's the X's and O's of what we're going to do. Instead, it's often this emotional speech that they deliver to get people fired up and ready to go. And so I think, you know, obviously you have to have the X's and O's. You have to have the plan in place to execute what you're trying to accomplish. But 
if you don't have the emotion behind it, it, it just falls flat. It doesn't compel people to follow you to do what, what it is you're trying to accomplish. Awesome. So, so as I'm thinking through this, you know, I'm going to touch on this in just a little bit, but you know, when you pray, um, do you find yourself crying? Do you find yourself angry? Do you find yourself, um, you know, uh, with, with different uh, serious emotions? Or do we find ourselves in, in you know, uh, being passive or being without emotion or being lukewarm? You know, so are prayers effective when you don't have emotion? I think that's one question about that. You know, Matt talked about that being a front of things and, and you know, how that walks along the do. But I, I wonder, I mean, I, I know for me, I don't pray with emotion on a constant basis. So does that mean my prayer is not effective or my prayer is not valuable or I, I should feel remorse because, you know, I'm not, I'm not in a place with God where I should, you know, something to think about as we, we continue down in here a little bit. Hey Mike, <clears throat> again, I'll jump in, I'll jump in yeah. here a little bit. Um, one of the things um, that, that we talk about, um, as leaders, value 13 is um, leading with your heart while using your mind. Um, and I think leading with the heart's important. I think this is where, um, this is what Nehemiah was doing. Um, he had he had a heart for the things of God and his focus was on others and not himself. And so I think when that was part of the reason why he was so broken um, over this, this is why he wept. Um, and I think it, the concept is that God, God wants to use us. God wanted to use Nehemiah, but first he had to have his heart. Um, so my, I have a note here that says any great work God begins with God doing a great work in somebody. I think that's what he's starting to do here with Nehemiah. Perfect. Perfect. So I think, again, you think about how we're looking at the world around us, you know, and what takes place. And and when when we, we, we aren't bothered by the things that we watch on a daily basis or the things that we see, you know, um, it, 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 it needs to be a time of pause or a critical stop that says we've got to get back to, to God immediately. We're far away from God when we're not emotionally distraught over things that that come come around us on a daily basis. So think about this. I mean, I think we we have to make sure that things we're passionate about, that we're informed about. You know, make sure that you understand what 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 truly breaks your heart. And 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 I think that we have to have that emotion involved to do that. So think about it, you know, like when you have emotion, you know, we've seen through scripture how leaders, um, you know, they, they have emotion. There, there's been anger, you know, there's been weeping. Um, there, there's been different emotions that we've seen from Jesus to, to other great leaders in the Bible. And and what do you do when you have that emotion? You know, I, I thought now, you know, what's what culturally you know, relevant right now that people do or code, what happens with current conditions? You know, we, we write a Facebook post or we tweet or we get in a break room argument, you know, but, or do we decide to go build a wall? You know, so I think, I think the challenge, at least starting off with, with my emotional regulation, I'm, I'm about as wound up as any. I like the, I like the fist up a lot and I got to be careful because I think I think what Nehemiah is teaching us is it's not about you know that knee-jerk reaction um, that that happens you know currently in culture. Um, so I'm not sure that we win our, our prizes on social media with with this culture prize you know post. You know I think we have to step away a little bit and, and think about the wall rather than the post. You know, so after he wept, so let's get into this a little bit, you know, so Nehemiah had that, you know, that kind of gut punch, 
you know, he, he felt terrible. He was broken. Um, so, you know, now we're getting into you know, the meat of where he spent days mourning and fasting and praying. Okay, that was the second part of verse four that we jumped into. Um, and we're going to start to look at this morning. That was pretty, we talked a lot about the initial emotion. Then we knew what was next. Okay. So I, I do think there is a human processing component. You know, I don't think that we are, as Christians are given a problem. And I think we put too much pressure on ourselves immediately. We've got to allow the human nature to react emotionally you know, to process by morning and then that, and then also get to a place where we're praying fasting. So I think it is, you know, a, an actual movement process that we get through, um, you know, as, as we cope, as we understand. Um, don't put so much pressure on ourselves as leaders to solve those problems. That's the hardest part for me. You know, when somebody comes to me, I'm a fixer, you know, whether it starts with, with my wife, but then it leads to, you know, the, you know, the several hundred staff members that I work with, and they give me a problem I want to solve problem. And I'm not sure that's, that's fair to me. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not fair to myself a lot of times. And I think we have to follow that lead of my, as I said, and give yourself that human element of how we get through any thoughts on that? Just on being a process, a problem process. For somebody who drinks coffee simply to to temper myself as a as a as a poster child for AD, ADD or ADHD or ODD, whichever whichever acronym you want to use, um, I need to temper myself. You know, so I think that's a big lesson for me and leader. Yeah, I think. Okay. I mean, I think Mike that. Uh, oftentimes I want to move fast too, right? It's, I see a problem and I want to solve it. And the number of times where I've seen, where I see the solution to the problem, but, uh, but other people aren't quite ready. It's because I haven't waited for God to move quite yet. And so I try to move ahead of him. And so it's that idea of, you know, waiting and praying and trusting that God really is the one in control. You don't have to solve this on your own. So I like that, uh, the really cool thing, Ray, is when you get to yeah, when you get to chapter two next week, it's really cool how we see specifically what Nehemiah did, because you could tell it was like a caged animal, okay? Like like you know the problem, and you know even some of the ways you think you might fix it. God tells you to still, and for me, I get unbelievably restless. Next week, we'll see why Nehemiah did it and he waited. You know, I think that's important. So I put a couple of notes at the bottom of this um, for me. You know, one of the authors I read talked about the spiritual illumination. You know, like when you, there's a there's actually an education. You know, we just did a new math series in education. And uh, Eureka Math does a neat thing where when you, you know, you do memorization on like called fact fluency, you know, learning how to add, subtract, multiply, divide. You know, and a lot of times you have kids do that, but you do that at, at a level where you increase their emotions. You increase, um, you know, you think about when you had a car accident. You had viv vivid memories of what happened in that, in that moment because it's like turning a light on when you walk into a room, okay? We want to create, um, you know, places in our lives where we are illuminated, you know, just like you're walking into that empty house, like with a surprise party. Um, you know, if God turned on your light right now, you know, what would you see? Um, I think it's important, you know, for, for each of us not to become dull to what's around us, you know, and I think that's a big part of, you know, your emotions. I think your emotions tend to help you to see things more vividly. And I think that's the part that we're getting at is, you know, not that you have to have these heightened emotions. But I do think emotions help you to see things more clearly and understand urgency and, and you know, just understand me a little bit better. So, again, we want to, you know, talk about Nehemiah as, as a prayer warrior. 
you know, so I think as we get through this too, I really want to condition each one of you to, to write down skills that you see Nehemiah had as a leader. That's really what, at the end of this, I think we want to be able to say, what's it take to be a good leader? And I think you want to draw what you saw from Nehemiah. You know, so for me, the first point obviously was emotion, empathy, um, you know, just for what you do or what you're, where God's placed you. And then I think we're going to see very clearly that Nehemiah was a prayer. Okay. You know, and I'm going to, I'm going to call it the 912 principle in, in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah's case, just because I read this and it kind of stuck with me. I'm not sure why, but you know, there's 12 instances that Nehemiah prayed through this book. And I think when you look at it of the 12, nine of them, you know, felt a little bit more like these missile prayers. You know what I mean? Like it's not this, um, you, you know, locked locked in a room on my knees multiple times a day. Um, you know, just pleading to God. Okay, I do think there's times for that for sure. You know, I think we have to have, you know, those times like he had at the beginning of this book, where you know for days he mourned, fasted, and prayed. So. You know, that's part of the 912 uh, movement here in prayer, if you will, because, you know, three of those 12 in this book are like right here in the first chapter. He spent days doing it. Okay. But then there's other instances you're going to see again. We're going to get to next week. You're going to see an instance where Nehemiah is put right in front of, you you know, the judge and jury. And he has to pray before he responds. And I think you're going to see times where he does that quick, brief, spur of the moment prayer. So, you know, I just put a little slide here. Just, you know, there's these are the evidences of prayer through this book. Um, I think it's important to understand that he was completely a man of prayer. Um, You know, I have to share a praise that's going on right now. You know, my, my prayer life had never been really good. Okay, personally, as my own evaluation, um, this last year it's been phenomenal okay and i'm not it's amazing how god changed it from being absolutely in my own mind terrible to to being uh, transformational all i did was i had this little notebook and i started to put people's names in it on a monthly grid okay and when i'm done praying for them on that day i just sent them a little message okay and 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 the byproduct of it is people get a text message from mike out of nowhere Okay, and that he's praying for him. And 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 really the reality is I'm only praying for these people like once a month, tops. Okay. Like I'm not this, you know, super prayer guy, but but once a month a person's name pops up. So I've continued to add people's names to that grid over and over again. So it's grown from one person a day to two people a day to three people a day. So there's a guy who's unsaved right now um, that's going through a second bout of cancer. He's my age dear friend. And um, out of nowhere, you know, I, I, I probably wrote him a note every so often, but he uh, reached out to me and said, I know you pray. And I'm thankful for that. Um, and, and I need your prayer because I'm going through cancer again. And, um, and that just took itself to another place where um, I've reached out. The gentleman coached with me and um, I reached out to about 20 seniors that played for us 20 years ago. Okay, and they're all sending him videos now. Okay, and um, but I've I've taken those 20 now and I'm going to add them to my prayer list, you know. So, so now whether they like it or not, they're going to get a text message from a guy from 20 years ago, and then they could tell me, go pound sand, I don't believe in this Jesus, you know, that's okay. Um, but I think it's, it's amazing exponentially how prayer has an unbelievable effect. So, I think for me as a leader that's been my biggest transformation. I think Nehemiah has been a good influence on me in that area. Any ideas with prayer and, and leadership and where you've seen evidence of that, that, that has just taken an organization from one place to another. We'll get back to that. Mike, if I can jump in. Go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm on that prayer list and I know the, the text messages that Mike's talking about. I receive them probably once a month. Uh, it is encouraging. Uh, it's amazing how the Lord works. It's usually on that day that you really need it. Uh, 
I work construction with a lot of guys that probably aren't Christians. Uh, all of them, I, amazingly enough, are going through some major things in their life right now. And I'll just let them know, hey, I am praying for you. There's somebody looking out for you. And whether their beliefs are in line with ours or not, that is a real encouragement to them. So thank you, Mike, for praying and sending me those encouragements. Absolutely. So, I, you know, again, I put them in my phone. And the funny thing is I talk to my phone on the ride to work. So automatically they're, they're connected. You know, like I, 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 I don't really proofread them, you know, when I, when I talk to my phone. So, you know, the word of encouragement comes back. I'm always worried I'm going to offend somebody because I don't reread my texts. So just funny thing. Love technology. I think sometimes we forget how just I think how powerful prayer really is. Um, So like, I don't, I don't really, this must've been in a commentary or something online, but it talked about when Nehemiah prayed, he prayed for this wall and he, and it said he prayed for four months and I don't know if that's accurate or not. Um, But if he prayed for four months, it said it only took 52 days to build the wall. So in essence, his prayer was what allowed this wall to be complete in a very short time. So I don't know if that's accurate or not. But when I read that, that was a while. Like there's power in prayer, and it's well thought out. It, yeah. And I think again, we got to compartmentalize. I read the same thing, Larry. It's funny. I shared that last week. And I, I think what's funny is we have to kind of compartmentalize ourselves with that that same prayer i I think we have to give ourselves guidelines and guideposts you know in any activity we're in and i think prayer helps to 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 sort that out larry works for a guy who's a christian and and uh you know i'm i'm one of the guys who sets my alarm at three o'clock every day and as educational leaders who are believers we pray every day at three you know and he he conditioned me to do that so my alarm goes off at three I'm, i'm in the middle of chaos and, and it just reminds me to stop right there and whatever's going on, there, there, there goes a prayer. Okay, let's jump into this then. Okay, so, you know, we've gone through this. And, and one thing I wanted to really get into was, you know, how do you pray, I think, is, is part of the, you know, the question. I've always wondered that, you know, what's, what's God expect from us in I'm, I'm kind of a linear person when it comes to, you know, how to do things. I read the directions. I lay out all the parts. Okay. I'm a little type A in that, in that respect. So I always like to know, you know, when you pray, how should you start? How should you finish? What should you, what should you do? You know, there's some people that say you've got to start with confession in your prayer. Some people say you got to start with worship. Um, you know, I think in this instance, when we look at Nehemiah and how he started in verse five, Okay, you know what, what how's he start his prayer? Okay, what what's it look like here? You know, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who keep him and keep his commandments. I mean, what what are you seeing here? Is there a confession? I don't see a confession at this point. You know, there's a bit of worship, but I think I think there's a reverence. You know, that we're fixing our eyes on the greatness of God. And, and I think that when we pray and it's and it's not that missile prayer, you know, where, you know, we're look, looking for, you know, some of that, that that quick insight. I think when we spend our true time in prayer, we, we need to understand whose presence we're coming in front of. You know, it, it, who is the God that we're praying to? And, and I think there is a level of reverence that's established here by Nehemiah. Um, and, I, and I think it's just a good tip as to how we, we enter into that communion. Any thoughts with that? Okay. Mike, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus uh, almost lays out that pattern for us. And what he starts with is, hallowed be thy name. And I always wondered why that that pattern was established. Uh, I would start out and basically, oh, how low am I? How much of a sinner am I? And that really didn't set the stage. What sets the stage is us realizing the God that we're praying to and how, oh, great and terrible God, you know, that Nehemiah opens up with. Um, 
when we focus more on how great he is versus the center we are, at least to open the prayer with. I, th I think that really takes a lot of the onus off of us and, and puts it, you know, where it belongs on our God. What a great point. Awesome. I mean, I think about it, you know, we, we, we are unworthy, we're un incapable. And, and I think that isn't it, when you talk about stirring your emotions, when you're going to a God, okay, who is sovereign, what else is there to worry about, right? I mean, I think that's that, that's a great start. Great point, Eric. I've been all wound up. He, okay. uh, hey, Good. Mike, he also, in that, in that second part, right? So he starts out with that, the adoration and the, you know, who is, how great is God. Then he moves into the, he starts to move into reminding himself that God is this God of the covenant, right? He, he's given a covenant to his people and it's a promise that he's going to base the rest of his prayer on is that, Hey God, you're, you've made a covenant with us. And because of that, I can come to you with confidence and ask you to do these things. And so um, it, it's not only who God is, but it's what, what he's promised. And then that gives him confidence to ask big and bold. Absolutely. Great point, Ray. So let me go to my favorite, one of my favorite authors, Andy Stanley. You know, again, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, as you start to read some of the application of Nehemiah in a book like Visioneering, which, again, if you're doing any project or working with any leadership team, this is a phenomenal book. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I really think anytime you enter into, you know, a, a build your wall activity, you know, with an organization, I think you've got to go through this book together because I think it really, you know, it, 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 it helps us set the tone. But when we think about this, you know, we all have visions, we all have dreams, we all have aspirations, you know, but I think when we have a stretch of an activity, they, they just seem to go away. And I worry about all the God moments that, 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 that are missed because we don't approach the throne, um, you know, in that consistent way. You know, again, a couple of, couple of notes here. And again, I, I, do, I do think that our circumstances and what we're doing day to day to day, you know, in our, in, in our routine, mundane lives, I think our prayer is, it makes us sensitive. And I think we cannot just say, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm signing timesheets today for 100 employees, okay? Um, th there are parts of my job. I, I sat all day Friday reading policy and rewriting policy, okay? It, 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 it's like watching paint dry, okay? I can't stand it, but I've got I've to be prayerful so I can be sensitive. That whole day I spent with one gentleman, okay, who's our police officer, you know, and just that interaction between that mundane role of reading policy, I think there was, you know, opportunities that I never thought would have existed. So you, you really got to, as you get through this, okay, again, some other ideas by Andy Stanley, okay, he really talks a lot about what's the difference between a visionary and a dreamer, okay, and I think that we have to start putting ourselves in positions to, to, to do these tasks. So at first, obviously we're reverent of God, but then we're gonna get us to a place where we know that God is using us as a vessel. And I think that we have to start grabbing hold of that. And then finally, you know, just, just looking at, and we'll get to this even into next week, um, you know, just understanding that the king that, that this cupbearer was serving Okay, his predecessors, the one who destroyed the city in the first place. So we're going to see as we get in the next week, him going to, you know, make some requests of this king. You know, this is a, a completely um, unique situation that, you know, who, who in a million years would have thought this is the path to, 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 to serve God through the king. Okay, I think that's big. Um, so a couple other thoughts I wanted to go through. I, I've talked a little bit about being lukewarm and the spiritual illumination. Um, just wanted to show a couple of slides that way. And again, we talked about this already as well. Okay, so let me, let me jump into this. First point I wanna make on the scripture as we get into the rest of the passage. 
Okay, obviously, there's something I put in red, okay, in the font of all this, you know, this portion, if you will. You know, it's, it's pretty obvious, but I think there is a pronoun being used that we have to consider, okay? I, I think that Nehemiah was very forward with placing himself, you know, as the one to blame, if you will. He was a sinner. Um, you know, he was, it was, it, it was um, his role to take on that burden. Um, we obviously know Nehemiah was 900 miles away. Okay. You, you know, he obviously, um, you know, didn't have anything to do with the city being torn down. He didn't have anything to do with it not being re rebuilt at that point. There were other people that could have, you know, taken the bull by the horns. But Nehemiah said, this is my you know, um, responsibility. So a couple of things that a, a bunch of authors spoke to this. And I really, you know, I think this is number one in a leadership model. You know, I can remember like when I was a head coach, I'd be interviewed by the, the, the press after, after a game. And I went one and nine as a head coach. And, and if you want to know what, what rock bottom looks like, try being one and nine, you know, and either giving a halftime speech or talking to the media afterwards or watching the parents rip you online and, and tell you that uh, you're the worst person on the planet. It was very difficult. But what I always try to do was I always try to take responsibility for a loss. And, and it was funny because I don't think everybody does that. So my whole team, my expectation would be the players take responsibility for a loss. All my other coaches took responsibility for a loss. Um, and ultimately, I would take it. But I, I, I had to step back at times because at, at some point I saw myself as the only one taking that responsibility. And that was OK. But I think that's part of leading an organization. You've got to get everybody to be introspective enough to, to consider their contribution instead of pointing blame, accepting responsibility. And I think that's what Nehemiah did by showing this example. You know, so, again, some of my notes down here talk about, you know, the term corporate responsibility. You know, another author talked about it as the identification principle, and another author talked about it as like collective guilt. You know, so those three concepts really stood out to me that as a leader, okay, you have to model this. I, I think Nehemiah did this through his prayer, okay? Um, any thoughts to this? I mean, do you see this in leadership now, um, and where do you see it? Leaders today don't take responsibility, right? I mean, I, that's the norm. It's somebody else's fault. Um, but what's interesting about Nehemiah is he wasn't even alive when the, when these things happened, right? I mean, he, so the, he's taking responsibility for the generations of, um, uh, that brought about the downfall, their sin that, that brought about the downfall of Jerusalem. Great point, right? And, and, and I think, too, when, when a leader steps out and takes on responsibility, okay, people are very quickly can, can point that out, right? Right? Like you just pointed out, the guy's not even alive, okay? And I think when we have leaders that take responsibility for things, people who are, are wise will say, what the heck's this guy doing? It's not his responsibility. It's, you know, he might name 10 or 15 different other people that are responsible. But I think that sends a nice message that you have somebody with a backbone. Okay. You, you have somebody, uh, you know, that that's committed to an organization. And I think those are all key traits that we see here from Nehemiah in this passage. It's the first thing that stood out to me was, you know, just these pronouns and, and just understanding the pronouns through the scripture. You know, another another thing as we go through here, okay, in, in verse eight, you know, after after we've traveled, you know, through this the, the pronouns, you know, and how Nehemiah prayed um, in, in this manner, we see how he now refers back to the instruction, you know, given to Moses. Okay. And I, I think that um, we really have to you can't understand Nehemiah unless you understand Moses. 
Okay. And I think that's a real key to, you know, um, you know, processing through this first chapter is to understand, you know, what that role and what uh, Moses did and what the Israelites went through, how we've gotten to this point now with Nehemiah. So just to jump in, I put, you know, a passage in Deuteronomy up, you know, and let me just read it and let's process it a little bit and, and have a little bit of discussion. Okay, then the Lord will scatter you among all nations from one end of the earth to the other. There you will worship other gods, gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your ancestors have known. Among those nations, you will find no uh, repose, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both day and night never sure of your life. In the morning, you will say, if only it were evening. And in the evening, you'll say, if only morning, because of the terror that will fill your hearts and the sights that your eyes will see. So like, you know, as I read this, I'm thinking to myself, consider our world right now around us. Okay. How much fear do we have? How much fear did those Israelites have, you know, as, as Moses was speaking and, and how much you know, you, you know, you look at you look at the second half of this portion here. I think when you go to the point where it says, you, you know, we're saying, you know, there's terror in our hearts. I, I think they dread day and night, and I think people don't think there's any solution. So right now with this coronavirus, there is no solution, right? I mean, you know, the world's coming to an end. The only thing that's going to fix this is, you know, um, a couple of things that are coming out. You know, and and, you know, you watch the news one night and this is the antidote. You watch the news the next night and this is the antidote. But I think what we see here is when our eyes are fixed, OK, on Christ, I, I think that's what is the calming influence. So, you know, that's the first part of this as as Moses spoke. So Nehemiah is referencing Moses. Okay, then I think it's very important then to jump to another passage in Deuteronomy. Okay, and just to, to read that, let's let's think about this as well. When all the blessings and the curses I have set before you come on you and take take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord, God and obey him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you today. Then the Lord, your God, will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all nations where he scattered you, even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens from where your Lord God will bring and gather you, uh, bring you back. He will bring you back to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. So, so again, that tells me it comes back to, goes from fear to God is sovereign, okay? And I think this is what Nehemiah is being taken through, okay? He's gonna be part of this whole conversation that Moses initiated. And I think that's something that we really have to, you know, to peek at, if you will, just a little bit. So I wanna go back up to, you know, where, where this passage talked to Nehemiah, okay? And he's just quoting that. Okay, but I thought it was important to jump into Deuteronomy just to just to crosswalk that a little bit. What are your thoughts and think of the application of that? I mean, I think there's a situation where um, you're forced to choose. You're forced to take responsibility. I think that's what's happening in the world nowadays is you're going to have to have a, a choice being made about what you believe. Absolutely. You know, there's no doubt. And, and I think this really stood out to me in current conditions. You know, I'm not sure what to say. I mean, you look at what happened in, in Israel thousands of years ago and un unbelievably it's happening again. Right. I mean, I, I think that, you know, here we are again. And, and what's our role similar to Nehemiah as believers in this whole process? You know, and I, I think that we have to condition ourselves with it. But it should also give us just this, this unbelievable sense of peace. And I think what you're going to see is, you know, Nehemiah starts as one and, and, and you think, oh, is this this guy that's going to get on this wall? Is he going to build a wall all by himself? 
And I think what you're going to see as we move through the, the book of Nehemiah is he was about the most collegial leader I've seen. You know, he delegated, he empowered, and you're going to see that. And I think part of his belief is he knows the Lord is going to bring those people to work alongside of him. He wasn't swinging a hammer himself, you know, at all. And you're going to see, uh, you know, how interesting enough he brings a, a whole host of people to support the process. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a challenge here to see Nehemiah because here's someone who is obviously familiar with the scriptures. I think I get into a rut in my own prayer life where I want to see God work and do things. And it's basically just an appeal that I make for myself, like, God, please, you know, I'm, I'm begging you instead of, you know, Nehemiah here, he's saying, God, this is what your word says. This is what I'm appealing to. I'm appealing to your character, not to my own desire, not to what I really, really want. Instead, it's here is what you revealed to Moses. And now I am asking you to honor that promise that you made. And I think that that's, a much more powerful appeal than just, well, God, I really think that you should do this and I really want you to, and just pretty please do this for me. Good. Good point, Matt, for sure. Any other thoughts? I want to jump down here a little bit. <clears throat> okay. You know, again, I want to leave it just a little bit of time here on the end and we've got a hard stop coming fast. Got a lot of work to do here on a Saturday for sure. I know we all got stuff to do, but I want to I want to process through the end of this. So the last part of the, you know, the first chapter, okay, you, you know, again, finishes, um, you know, with with just Nehemiah um, and then adoration, you know, you know, to the Lord as he finishes that that prayer. And it says, you know, they are your servants, your people whom you redeem, your great strength, your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. So let's just stop on that verse 11. Okay, so, you know, again, he, he, he qualifies himself as a servant of the Lord. Okay, and he also states very clearly that he reveres the Lord. Okay, and, and I think you know, he's asking for success and favor, okay, as he moves forward. So we're getting, we're setting the stage here, okay, and he finishes with his odd statement that says, I was cupbearer to the king, and, and I got to be honest, we have no idea what that, that last sentence means in the first chapter, okay, like I get it, I understand, you know, it, it's almost like a signature, okay, I guess, I don't, I don't know, um, I can't say that I found anything that that helped me with that last sentence, but I, I really perseverate on this all week. You know, like I'm not sure what that means. Like, why did you why did you write that? Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have any other insight to that, but I, I really feel like it's setting the stage, if you will, for chapter two, where he's going to address the king. Okay, and um, you know, he knows his role in serving the Lord. The Lord has assigned him to be the cupbearer, you know, to the king. And I think I struggle with that quite a bit because, the, you know, like in my world, I'm always focused on, you know, what's that upward path look like professionally? You know, um, I oftentimes forget what my current title is, you know. So I think in this case, Nehemiah knew, I mean, this guy was going to be appointed, you know, the king of Judah. I mean, he, he, he had a big appointment coming, right? I mean, this guy uh, was going to approach the king, and then the king was going to give him one heck of a, an you know, he's going to provide this assignment, and, and it's one heck of a promotion, you know, but he still understands who he is. And I think for me, it gives me pause. I always tend to look at what's next or what's coming instead of focusing on where I am. And I think that this is a reminder, I guess, in his signature line that we need to remember where we're at. I don't know. Any thoughts to that? I, I don't know. I mean, Mike, could it could it be that he goes through all this and he just wants 
people to remember and wants us to remember that he was the cupbearer. He was the servant. Um, and as we think about how leadership applies, that leadership is really influence and leadership then therefore applies to all people. So even though you're a cupbearer to the king and you're just a servant, God does have great things and is going to have great things for Nehemiah. So maybe it's just setting the stage. Like, just remember, through all this, I'm the cupbearer to the king. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I was actually thinking about changing my signature line on my email, you know, <laughs> and just, just putting cupbearer below it, just to remind me, you know, when I, when I send that note that, that, you know, this is where I am. And ironically, as I read this and you personalize it, before I did this, this leadership study with you guys, whatever reason, God put it on my heart to, to go through the Wearsby book with four elementary principals and my boss, who's the superintendent of schools. Okay. And, and my, the guy I work for is definitely, um, you know, he, he's, he's a strong personality. I love him to death, but I'm telling you, he's the king. I'm going to tell you right now, he's the king. And, and I, I like read this and I'm leading this study with him and think about you saying this to your boss. And I said to him, I said, I, I'm your, I'm your cupbearer. That's for sure. Cause you're the king. And uh, you know, he kind of laughed about it, but man, I, it, it really resonated with me because I have a super important role and I tend to trivialize that a little bit because I want to get to the next step and I'm not taking my time as the cupbearer, you know, just something to process through, I guess. You know, and I look at like a guy like Mike Pence, you know, I, I don't go on a rabbit trail here, but Mike Pence spoke at my graduation at Liberty and he, he, he gave his testimony for 25 minutes at Liberty. And, and if I could have ran up on stage and hugged him without the secret service, like pinning me to the stage, I would have done it. Like I was fired up. It was awesome. And it really opened my eyes to what, what's the role of the cupbearer. Because we, 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 know, we know what Donald Trump's, you know, personality tends to be like. And, you know, love or hate the guy, he is, he, he is who he is, okay? But Mike Pence was a cupbearer. There's no two ways about it. You know, when I heard his testimony, he's the guy from Indiana with a strong Christian testimony and, and, a, and a doctor and his salvation statement was just outrageous. Um, interesting, just as you look at that and just see how God places people. Because what we'll see later, too, is... You know, the king here in this situation, you know, he's not a man of God. And we wonder, can God use people who are not of the faith? Okay, absolutely. If you don't think God doesn't use people who aren't of the faith. So if you don't think God can use Joe Biden or God's going to use Kamala Harris, you're crazy. You know, and I just think that's because he's also placed cupbearers in the equation. So, I don't know. Like I said, great signature line, and I and I thought for me it was you know just kind of kind of stuck with me a little bit. Any thoughts as we finish? I got a couple of let's tie us up and let's move us on here. Comments. Okay. Again, I'm going to finish with my buddy Andy. Just a couple of things just to to really process on. Um, you know, this is one of those books like where you highlight. You know, like if there's 100 words on the page, you're highlighting 95 of them, okay? Because like everything he writes is like, you jump out of your seat, you're like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. But then you look at the page and the whole thing's highlighted. So it's not even, I'm not sure why I highlighted it, okay? Uh, but this is, I, you know, I've been through this book three different times with groups. And uh, anytime, you know, I don't reread books normally, but this one I do. Um, so think about it. You know, there, there's got to be a sense of urgency and conviction, Okay, but you got to almost be physically bothered, okay, by the way things are. You know, when you talk about emotions, if we go back to the beginning of the chapter when Nehemiah wept, okay, you know, Andy Stanley refers to emotions, you know, in terms of, you, you know, your God vision. And, you know, like I, I've been on a million leadership teams where we write visions, and it, it about makes me want to throw up sometimes because, you know, it's just going to be on a piece of paper. But when you read a vision like this and understand the conviction that's required of it, that's when you believe it, you know, and that's when you understand what, you know, why, why writing a vision is important for an organization. But I don't think most organizations understand how to do it. So I think it's inter interesting enough. 
All right. So what are we going to get into next week? A um, couple of thoughts, you know, as we go through, you know, preparing for next week. Definitely want to try and get through all of Nehemiah 2 next week. We might not get through the whole thing, but I'm going to, I'm going to try. Um, I want you, as you go through this, I'd love, you know, because I think at some point I'd love to do more leadership study on this with people who are, you know, not professing Christians. So I, I want to, is, is it proper to say you want to secularize the Bible a little bit? Like I want to, I want to kind of hide the fact that I'll, I'll write a leadership study, you know, and, and like not tell anybody it's coming from the Bible. Um, so like, I'd love to hear, you know, your transferable leadership skills that you're seeing out of this, you know, like for me, leaders have to have empathy or emotion. I think that's a skill that I want to be able to categorically say as I train leaders, you know, in my role on my job in the secular environment that they have to, they have to have empathy. So whenever you can come up with, you know, what you think leaders need to do, obviously one of the things we learned today is they have to pray. Okay. Now that's the spiritual component, you know, but I do think that there has to be, um, you know, times where you also set up the opportunities to pray, you know, so I think that's another piece of this. One thing I want you to continually think about is what's that reoccurring thought or burden that's consuming you. So I asked you to come up with your why, but I think also it could be just that reoccurring thought. What's burdening you right now? You know, what, what, what are you having trouble sleeping? Um, what's waking you up at night? You know, th those types of things. And I think for me, again, in leadership, I've always been that person that doesn't want to talk about the same problem over and over again, right? So like I'll use Mount Calvary Church as an example. Okay, I've been at the church for like 25 years, okay? And I've heard some things over and over again, and it drives me insane, okay? And I'll tell the pastors it drives me insane. And, and, um, and then I won't serve on any committees for the same concepts over again. You know, so like if we're going to meet to talk about what do we do with, you know, the Hertzler property, okay? I've already been on that committee. I'm not doing it again, you know? Like we should have done something with it, okay? And that's no, that, you know, it's not being critical because we're all, we all struggle to move. But I just think, you know, we have to think about that burden that consumes you and what you would do with that burden, you know? And I think it's our, our, our role to process through these things and understand when's the time right, when it's not right. You know, obviously God was teaching me a lesson because, um, you know, I, I, I figured out in my own mind what we should have done with the Hertzler property about 10 years ago. But my, my way is not his way, right? Isn't that right, right? I mean, just tamper me a little bit. If you have to censor me, Ray, at any point, you can do that as a Mount Calvary Church employee. If you got to, like, hit, if you got to hit leave, you can do that. Oh, no, we're, we're publishing your comments for posterity's sake. That's great. On the internet. <laughs> yeah. one, one year, I'll see my membership rescinded because my mouth went. Okay, so the next thing I want you to also consider is what's your spiritual mile marker? You know, you know where has God put you? You know, I, I couldn't think of a better term to put that, but I want to, you know, what's the space he's put you in? You know, Matt's a good example, Alette. Okay, okay. I know Matt, I think personally wants to be in ministry, you know, as a pastor, okay, at, at some point in life, okay, but God's put him in a school right now, you know, and, and I, I liken Matt a lot to like a Dan Sheard, because the Dan Sheard one, you know, there's times he was put in school leadership. And I know he wants to be a pastor, you know, and, and I think that, you know, when I see that from gentlemen like that, I have so much admiration because God is, is putting you in time out. He's sitting you still, right. And he's making you stay where you're at and serve where you're at, despite the fact that your own ambitions are drawing you so far away. You know what I mean? Like you're like a caged animal. And I think I felt that, you know, and um, I think we need to pause and understand what's our spiritual mile marker. You know, what skills do you have and what, what, what's your sphere, your sphere of influence? I think that's very important as well. Um, just think that's very important. So let's think about that next week as we come in. Um, closing thoughts. We've got five minutes left. Give me a couple of thoughts before we move on to chapter two next week. We're going to see how Nehemiah approaches the king. I think that's pretty exciting for me. 
Um, as you were talking, Mike, it was just interesting. I was thinking about um, what it's like to lead an organization, right? To have lots of people under you, kind of like the situation that you you find yourself in. And if you as a leader, you know, have a passion and a burden, it's important to mobilize people in order to accomplish that. But as you're leading people, they have their own burdens and things that consume them. And so really, you know, to take that next step, I think, in leadership is to allow them and support them to pursue their own passions, their own burdens within that organization that, that you are leading as a whole, you know? And so I think that's what then raises up the next generation of leaders. That's what then allows an organization to continue to grow and change instead of potentially getting caught in a rut of, okay, well, here's what we're pursuing and, okay, we kind of are doing that okay. And you kind of get to a place where you just stop and it's like, no, well, what's next? And so I think, you know, it's just, it's a good reminder to me that, you know, if I want to, you know, lead an organization someday, if I want to be a part of a, a whole, you know, body, it's part of that is allowing others to pursue their same burdens and visions um, and, and giving them the freedom and the support they need to accomplish that. It's awesome. And, and the visual for that, it, it's so funny. I've worked with a guy, okay, in my history. And if you sit in a boardroom, every time this person has a meeting as a leader, they sit in the same chair, right in the front in the middle. Okay. And that used to drive me insane. Okay. Because no matter what we were talking about, he was at the front in the middle. And I used to go go sit in that person's chair just to tick him off. Okay. Because I didn't think that he, and, and that person was my boss. But subtly, I wanted to send a message that as a leader, you can't sit at the head of the table every time. You know, so I would rotate my seat all over the room. And, and, and you know how when people come into a, a reoccurring weekly meeting, they like to sit in the same area. OK, I, I, I generally like to tick people off and sit in their space because I think we need to change our spaces. You know what I mean? In leadership and to your point, so good is your point that you're exactly right. At, at what point as leaders do we understand that we're building capacity and, and not just, you know, rowing a boat? And I think that's a good, what a great point. Any other final thoughts? Um, I, I really I respect my husband as a really inspiring leader. And I asked him the other day, you know, what, what do you, what's your philosophy with leading? And he joked, jokingly kind of said, you know, I consider myself to be like a little lazy. So he basically kind of like what you're saying, Matt, about he allows other people to take responsibility. Like he'll, he's, he's much, better. he's not lazy, but he'll like, train people to do what they he'll like let them see he'll like inspire them to do what they are able to do he'll he'll add like guardrails but he'll give them the job and they work it through and then by the end it's their achievement and it's it's nice being led by that because you feel like freedom and uh safety to take chances and risks it's awesome we we just changed the last three years, we changed our professional development model. So professional development for teachers is vital. Okay. You know, they got to continually get better at what they do. So, so many times when teachers walk into professional development, it's all about sit and get, right? They want me to talk and they want to listen. And that's what they see as professional development. And I, and I get mad at that because I said, it's not professional development. It's professional learning. It's about what you get, but it's also about what you give. So I think, you know, when you look at Nirvana in terms of learning with your employees, they become teachers, right? They're not the recipients of the instruction, but then they become the experts. So they might start as novices, they become, you know, functional, but then eventually they become experts and then they reteach. And I think that's the process we've got to take our employees through is it's not about professional development, but professional learning. And it's what you get and what you give as well. You know, it's got to be an equal balance. So I think that to your point, Matt, um, when you challenge people in your leadership, I think that's vital, you know, and I think as a leader, you're just organizing, right? You're just, you're just setting the stage and putting them in, you know, putting the pieces where they belong and then letting them run. 
And I think that's what good leaders do for sure. And we'll see Nehemiah definitely moving. I mean, he, you know, he, he, he's got people assigned to different tasks all throughout this book. And you can tell he's, 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 you know, plugging and playing, you know, you go there, you go here, you, you fix this. And that's what, what happened in 52 days. So it was, it was cool. All right. Let me close in prayer. It's seven 30. I'm a minute over. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this group. They're inspiring to me. Um, Lord, it's, it's awesome to be able to prepare for this, but then also to receive so much from just a solid group. Um, I'm, I'm amazed at the people you've put here. Uh, it's evidence, Lord, that um, you're working through a lot of people. And, and I'm just thankful that I can learn from different people in different places. Uh, move us forward today. Help us to grow and prepare for next week as we come back to consider uh, what Nehemiah has done to uh, prepare um, for for your your role in his life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, folks, have a great day. Thanks, Mike. You're allowed one more cup of coffee. Thanks, Mike. We'll Thanks, you guys.